Welcome to the Pendulum Land Podcast. Our podcast is designed for people interested in the right-of-way industry, in eminent domain, and the Uniform Relocation Act. Or it's for anybody who just enjoys a spirited discussion of popular culture. Today's podcast is sponsored by Pendulum Land Services, a full-service right-of-way acquisition firm managed by industry experts who are dedicated to the integrity of the right-of-way process. Visit them at PendulumLand.com. With us today is our regular crew, Kristen Bennett from the great state of Texas. Good day, mate. Good day, mate. Ross Green, an eminent domain attorney from the Commonwealth of Virginia. Good day, mate. This is a knife. Carrie Lynn Hurst from Pendulum Land. Good day, mate. Good day, mate. And with us today, we have another special guest. The lovely, the talented, the stately Andrea Carolan is with us today. And she's also from the land down under. Andrea is a certified practicing valuer and a fellow of the Australian Property Institute. In 2017, Andrea founded the Specialist Valuation Practice Public-Private Property, PPP. Andrea has established herself as a land acquisition and compensation specialist in the land down under, with credentials enabling her to practice in each state and territory in Australia. She's been involved in projects involving transportation, electricity, oil and gas, water resources, and stormwater management, and we are thrilled to have her join us today. Andrea, good day, mate. Good day, Dave. Is that is that how you guys actually um, greet each other in Australia? It actually is. <laughs> Not everybody, but it's certainly a very common greeting, um, and mate is. Uh, something which gets bandied around a lot. I mean, it's pretty much a blokey thing. So you always get, yeah, mate, nah, mate, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah mate, uh, watch it, mate. Uh, and it just goes on and on and on. And these could be guys who you've never met before, but uh, yeah. So today is definitely a thing and mate is a bigger thing. I want to I wanna pers- personally thank you for fitting us into your schedule because we're sitting in the uh, right on the east coast of the United States in the eastern time zone, and you are somewhere on the other side of the world, and I understand you are 13 and a half hours ahead of us right now. So what time is it where you are? It's 7.11 a.m. You got up at 7.11 to talk to us. I am so I honored. at 3.30 a.m., because I was so excited. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, no pressure. Yeah, no I was going to say, and she doesn't look like she rolled out of bed. She no. didn't get up at seven and get on the thing. She's ready to go. Look at her. She was, yeah, yeah. So and, um, Andrea is 13 and a half hours away, and we're looking at her over the Zoom call. If we can add just a little color commentary for our listeners, behind the lovely Andrea is a beautiful painting of Bono from U2, which we learned earlier was purchased in an auction. Well done, Andrea. Well done, well done. And I, I want. I, we've we've known Andrea for about three years. I met her at the uh, IRWA International Conference in Anchorage, Alaska, in 2017. And um, the um, the conference had like three different hotels. It was split up between. And I was staying at the Hilton. And one time, I was down at the bar afterwards, and I see this very 
um, interesting and mysterious woman in the bar area who's talking to various people as they come up to her. And I was kind of listening to it, and I realized this woman's got a strange accent. I think she might be from Britain. And so, <laughs> and so I went over and said, are you from... Are you from Britain or someplace like that? And and she uh, was very friendly, and we got to talking. And she noticed that I had a monogrammed shirt cuff. And what did you say, Andrea? <laughs> I, I asked Dave whether his mum sewed that on for him so he wouldn't misplace his items of clothing. <laughs> <laughs> and we've been fast friends ever since then. Her sense, of, her yeah. sense of humor. It was, a, it was a funny conversation. It was sort of was a little bit, you know, how those conversations are. They can be a little bit awkward. But, uh, yeah, we broke the ice pretty quickly. And I thought afterwards, gosh, that was a bit rude and a bit cheeky. And he may be highly offended. But he, it, it, no, it didn't backfire. Oh, no, no, no. It <laughs> on takes, the contrary. It on takes the a contrary. lot more to offend me. I decided, wow, we should have her on. <laughs> if I ever start a podcast with some partners one day, we should have her on the podcast. And look where we are three years later. <laughs> and here we are. Andrea, so I have a question for you. So Hi. we love to get into, I mean, we as people, into stereotypes. And I know Americans, like you think of Australia, what do we think of? We think of, oh, down under and kangaroos and koalas and good day, mate, right? It's easy to like just kind of glom onto some, maybe crocodile Dundee. So mm. here's my question for you. You Aussies, when you think of Americans, what do you think? Is it like McDonald's and French fries and Coke? Or like what, what, is, what are the things that you immediately think of when you think of Americans? Besides Bon Jovi. Besides Bon Jovi. <laughs> That's not what comes to mind when I think of Americans. <laughs> okay, so you're right. There are several stereotypes. Um, I guess at the moment, like the US is so front and centre on the world stage. There's a lot going on. Mm -hmm. um, the presidential election is big news here. Um, yeah. And obviously there's lots of other things going on in the US at the moment. But we'll leave that aside. Um, and I guess talk about some of the more, more, more romantic <laughs> and interesting, um, I guess, you know, things. I mean, I grew up, when I grew up, you know, we really saw America as like our big brother and we sort of looked up to you guys, um, you know, you're bigger and more advanced, etc. You know, I grew up with the Brady Bunch and Happy Days. That was kind of how I learned about America and, you know, still two of my favourite Favorite shows, I guess. Because they are um, they, they they are exactly like life in America. <laughs> oh, totally. Happy days, happy days and the Brady Bunch. Sure. <laughs> the Brady Bunch. When I was looking for some home help um, a few years back, I um I was talking to a lady about like this is what I need, you know, this is what I need. She goes, Okay, okay. And I, I said, I want an Alice. And that was <laughs> you know, basically how I described. <laughs> I never found Alice as such, but I always wanted an Alice. Sure. <laughs> don't we all yes yeah. i want an alice <laughs> yeah so the thing andrea you'll recall that when we first met um the thing that struck me is how many dangerous creatures live in your country and i i, I have to tell you i'm frightened of the land down under and i'm not sure i could visit there because i'd be afraid i'd be taken out by any one of these monsters at any point it's crazy. And, and as you know, as you know, Andrea, the most venomous snake in the world, the black mamba, is from Australia. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, yes, apparently. apparently. 
So <laughs> I will I will say that you're not the first person who's ever you know started a conversation with me about Australia, saying that they'd be um, nervous to visit because of the wildlife. And well, what, they firstly say they're nervous to visit, and you think, well, why is that? Are they frightened of flying or whatever? And then they say, no, we think we're going to get eaten by the wildlife. I don't know whether that's <laughs> <probably>. <laughs> which is bizarre because our our cities are you know the same as yours. But, um, yeah, so the story of the black mamba, um, this uh, initial conversation that I had with Dave in, in um, Anchorage, he uh, brings up the topic of the black mamba as being a reason why he wouldn't necessarily want to visit Australia. And I just sort of, you know how you kind of sit there and go, Mm, no, I don't think that's right. And I don't think that's <laughs> we do that a lot that, with Dave. That happens a lot with Dave. <laughs> But I had to politely tell him that, uh, no, no, the black mamba is not native to Australia. In fact, I've never heard of the black mamba. And he he persisted, yes, 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 it is, it is. And, you know, I actually was second-guessing myself at one point because there's, there's, you know, switched on East Coast lawyer telling me that the black mamba is from Australia. I was like, oh, maybe it is. <laughs> but he did actually uh, apologise to me a day or so later. When he, yeah. you know, never second-guess yourself, <laughs> Andrea. Never. East Africa, Australia, <laughs> the same place. Google and, and realise, yeah, it's from Africa. I, I, I actually, they both start with an A. I didn't know there was any difference. So, But you know what is from Australia, which I've learned? It's something called the blue-ringed octopus. What? Mm. Yeah, we don't have that, but apparently it is deathly, deathly. Uh, deadly? Yeah. <laughs> it's deathly, deathly, deadly? It's deathly, deadly. That's pretty deadly. And apparently if you get bitten by it, <laughs> if you get bitten by the blue-ringed octopus from Australia, there's no antidote. You just got to wait it out, and you might make it or you might not. Have you ever been bitten yeah. by a blue-ringed octopus? No, but apparently urine is um, an antidote for stingers up north, not necessarily for the blue ring octopus, but for the um, stingers. They, um, and, but no, our waters, they're dangerous. Um, great whites, crocs, stingers, octopus. Wow. Uh, something yeah. called a box <laughs> a box jellyfish, which I've never heard of. And we have like man of wars and red jellyfish. I have heard the whole urine thing, which I like the way she says it better. Urine. I, it took Wait me a, minute. a minute. Is she talking about yes. tinkle? Yes. Tinkle. Yeah. <laughs> Urine is much prettier, though, than urine. Or tinkle. Or tinkle. Don't say tinkle. You, the way you say urine. it makes it sound kind of I lovely. I totally, it went over my head. Yeah, you're, you're right. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Yes. So those are those are dangerous creatures in the water. You could actually go visit Australia and just not go in the water. Just and don't you go would in avoid the water. Those. Well, actually, no, because there's this thing called the funnel spider. <gasps> and Andrea, the huntsman spider. Are you familiar with the funnel spider? I am. They're not. They're not around here. Um, but like, in all truth, the most dangerous creature in Australia is the kangaroo, and that's not because they're going to come up and attack you. Although occasionally the, the big ones might do. But it's on the roads. Like if you're travelling at high speed and one bounds out in front of you, I guess it's like you know any wildlife. But country roads are littered with dead kangaroos, like deer. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, like deer. Here Where I live, there's deer on the road. What about drop bears? What about what? what? <laughs> drop bears. What's that? Are these bears that drop? It's it's a myth. Oh. It's an urban myth. Okay. <laughs> yes, but but what about cassowaries? Those are frightening birds. 
Cassowary. Yeah. I feel like you guys are just making words no, up and trying to trick they, me because I've never can... heard of any of these. <laughs> yeah, and there, there's apparently something called the textile cone snail, which is deadly from Australia. A snail that's yeah, deadly? Like everything over there will kill Andrea, you. Andrea, you, you have to come here. We'll save you from the dangers of your daily life in Australia. The cassowary is I've real, never though. Heard of that snail. I'm going to have to fact check that one later. <laughs> I think like, you should. How, how are Please you do. even? How are you even still alive? It's so dangerous down there. She's constantly the, dodging deathly, deadly animals. You got to look up the cassowary, though. The murder it's, chicken is possibly the coolest one. It's a bird that one. can run really fast. It can swim and it can fly. This sounds like a is, myth, like the chupacabra. It, or no, no, no. This is like an ostrich that wants to kill you. Andrea, yes. Are do you call call the authorities or something? I'm worried about you with all these murder chickens and how deathly often, snails. And how often do you run into cassowaries in your day to day <laughs> movements Maybe there, Andrea? <laughs> so cassowaries are not everywhere. We <laughs> thank goodness. We do want to talk a little bit about the right of way industry. Um because this is a right-of-way podcast, and we can get back to dangerous animals in Australia. We have some of our own. A friend of mine just got recently got bitten by a copperhead, but we'll get back to that. <sighs> does does Australia, we're, we're told as right-of-way folks and eminent domain attorneys that we steal land from people through eminent domain. Uh, does Australia steal land from people as well? No, we do not steal land from people. Um, we acquire land from people on a by compulsion um, on occasions, but I wouldn't call it stealing. I mean, we do compensate them. So does does I presume, I presume you guys do as well? There is compensation when you take take land. Do Do you have eminent domain in Australia? We do, but the terminology is different. Um, it is called compulsory acquisition. Um, and in some jurisdictions, which is actually referred to as resumption. And but so, it's the same thing. It's the taking of private land for public purposes, which I assume is what eminent domain is. Yes. And, and so what is the compensation scheme in Australia for that? Okay. So um, here we have each state and territory have their own legislation, which deals with land acquisition and compensation. And the Commonwealth or the federal government have a separate act as well for lands that they control. Um, so, um, and they're all, they're, they're all same, but different. You know, some of the terminology is a bit different and some, yeah, there, there are a few differences, but on the whole, um, just compensation is, um, predicated on the principle of placing a dispossessed party in the same or similar position as they were prior to acquisition. That, so, sound, that it's, sounds... It's, yeah, it's pretty broad. Yeah, that sounds pretty familiar. And so we have the com, we have the concept of just compensation, which really in America is fair market value. There's, there's not supposed to be a premium added to the payment for acquisition of the compulsory acquisition, as you would call it, of private property. What, what, how does just compensation look in Australia? Okay, so the concept of market value certainly applies, but um, yeah, there are obviously other um, aspects to it as well. So here in South Australia, um, the uh, section that deals with compensation, so it primarily says, and I'm just going to read these two um, short paragraphs for you because I think it kind of sets the scene. So the compensation payable to a claimant shall be to adequately compensate him for any loss that he has suffered by reason of the acquisition of the land 
and B, in assessing the amount, consideration may be given to one, the actual value of the subject land and two, the loss occasioned by severance, disturbance or injurious affection. Well, that last part, what does yeah, that mean? What, that whoa, seems whoa. very broad. What those, is that, that? Those last two words really caught me. Right. What does that mean? Say that again. Okay. <laughs> so severance and injurious affection are basically damages to the remainder, the retained land. Okay. Um, and disturbance is um, compensation, which is non-real estate related. So it's related to the person, to the entity, etc. Whoa, so, whoa, 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 whoa. Can you give us an example? Yeah, hit pause on that. Which one? Disturbance. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's, you let's said talk that, about this. Yeah, just tell us about disturbance again. Okay, so disturbance is basically, it's an acknowledgement that we're, you know, interrupting your life and there's going to be expenses associated with um, the fact that you're going to have to meet with the authority, you're going to have to meet with valuers, you're going to have to... Um, seek your own professional advice but then you know obviously if you uh, if it's a if it's a whole of property acquisition there's a you need to replace that property so a basic example if you're talking about um the acquisition of a, a residential property um owner occupied you'd be entitled to um your removal packing you know someone to actually pack the boxes for you move it take it to another dwelling pre-purchase reports if you wanted to get a you know building inspection, evaluation, um, conveyancing, utilities, um, incidental costs. If you um, have a disability, for example, and you wanted to put in some railing, things like that, um, just a general amount for dealing with compensation. You're not allowed to use the word time. Um, the courts don't like that, um, but, you know, essentially it is time. Um, and also, you know, taxes on purchasing a new property, so stamp duty and lands titles office registration. So, so it's pretty... Pretty broad. So a lot, a lot of those concepts sound familiar, but I want to go back. I want to get one thing really clear. When you started this explanation, it almost sounded like that in Australia, the displaced landowner could be compensated for what's the equivalent of inconvenience or pain and suffering, like making them feel bad for losing their property. Yes and no. So there's no compensation. There's no recognition of emotional distress or cultural attachment to the land or the fact that it's being taken against your will. So it has to be reasonably connected to a financial cost, you know. So, okay. Yeah. So if and, it's... and professional fees as well. So you're entitled to your own valuer, your own lawyer, your own accountant, your own engineer, if, you know. So Andrea, it, it sounds to me like you don't have like a separate uniform relocation act and you don't talk about relocation it sounds like anything that has to do with the relocation would fall under this uh concept of disturbance is that correct that is correct that is correct and uh, that's why i've been interested um since being involved in the right-of-way association and and listening to your podcast because what you do Kristen, is is different um to how we do it but you, you're right we don't have a separate act at all it's just it's just a I guess, a separate heading under the main claim for compensation. But we don't have someone who does what you do and actually helps a person through that. Um, as part of the valuation process, I would work out what the, you know, what needs to be attended to and put a dollar value next to those figures. That money would then, you know, presuming it's agreed, given to that person and they're on oh, point. They wow. Wow. So yes. it could, is that negotiable, that figure? Uh, 
Well, of course it is because, um, well, when I say negotiable, um, under compulsory process, obviously, you make an offer. So if, if it becomes a disputed claim, it gets escalated. So, you know, whether you it, yes and no is the answer. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Well, that's something that, that's fascinating to me because I get displacees. We call people that have to move because of our projects displacees. Anyone who is displaced because of a project, it's it's considered a reimbursement program only. And there's really no vehicle for negotiation on that. It's whatever it costs you to move, as, well, as long as it's actual, reasonable and necessary, we reimburse that. And it sounds yeah. like your system is set up to have a lot more flexibility in that in that way. And I have a specific question. We get asked all the time by people who are like displaced businesses who ask, what about if I lose um, my employees that I've paid to train or loss of income or loss of goodwill with my existing clientele? Is that something that's compensable in Australia? Because it's not here. And that's a, that's a tough pill to swallow for a lot of my displaced businesses. Yeah. Um, the simple answer is yes. It is. I mean, I don't get involved when there's business claim. I, that is a separate thing because obviously business losses, you know, you need a business value to do that. Um, but yeah, the, the simple answer is yes. So for example, if you've got a cert, well, uh, no, that's that's not totally moving them. But sometimes, sometimes um, it'll end up, and I don't know, you might get in the same situation where it's actually cheaper and easier for all concerned just to do business destruction and buy the business and call it quits. Wow. What, does that happen? It does not happen here. But when you said cheaper and easier, that's the problem with relocation is we don't ever choose what's cheaper and easier. It's what it is. We pay for moving expenses, reestablishment expenses, site searching expenses with residential displaces. We pay, we pay a housing supplement and it's not like, well, we could pay a supplement of X amount of dollars, but it'd be cheaper, cheaper and easier to just pay a settlement of $20,000 or whatever it is. We don't have that option. And I often think, oh, if we just could make it cheaper and easier where the displacee is happy, the condemning authority is happy, we don't have that option. So it sounds like I'm moving to Australia. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're going to get eaten by a funnel spider. Well, somebody can pee on it and it'll be fine. Wait, is that not is that not the cure for the funnel spider? With some urine. urine. Urine with the urine, yes. So wow, that is that is completely fascinating to me. And I've learned being involved with the International Right of Way Association that my specialty, which is relocation, is really America specific. I mean, our Canadian friends don't have relocation. You guys don't do it the same way. Um, I don't know that any other countries really have anything set up. To, to function the way that relocation functions in the United States. And it's in a lot of ways, it's wonderful and it benefits the people that have to move because of a project, but it is, it is very limiting in time at times as well. So I'm, I'm fascinated by the way that you guys do that. And the fact that it really seems like that's just a part of your just compensation package and that it is something that you can go, Hey, we could pay your actual moving expenses and it would cost X amount of dollars, but if it's just cheaper and easier, we'll give you this amount of money for you to move. And it's fine. That sounds amazing. <laughs> that's yeah, not so how we can you, do yeah, it so we can calculate that and if you choose not to move well fine just pocket it move on but sure um, yeah so um yeah no i think i think i think that there's absolutely scope for what you do here in mm -hmm. australia i mean there's certainly people who would really appreciate having um someone who was assigned to them to help them through that process. I mean, very occasionally I've seen situations where um, a road authority, for example, will 
um, get some help for someone who's you know losing their home, particularly if they're an elderly person or someone who English not their first language. But it's not some it's not a professional who's relocation specialist. It's sure. a real estate agent who can pull together a few properties and just you know step them through the process. So, sure. Yeah, it, it it happens, but very rarely and not on the scale. Okay, and I've I've two more questions for you specific to like what I consider relocation, what you guys call disturbance, or it's part of the disturbance. Number one, are there any limits associated with the cost for someone to relocate that 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 ju- part of the just compensation that has to do with moving? Because here we, we have to we have to function under the limits uh, that are federally regulated. Oh, as in dollar limits? Yes. For instance, in, oh, if you are if you are nice. a displaced business and you're moving from point A to point B, I can pay some costs associated with reestablishing your business at the replacement site with a maximum payout of $25,000. And, you know, for a big business, that's a, that is just a drop in the bucket. Mm, and there's no, nothing. there's no making that person or that business whole with $25,000. And we're, we are, that's a, that's a statutory limit. I don't have any flexibility with that at all. No, no such limit at all. I am um, moving to Australia. Good day. I'm on my way. <laughs> Can I stay at your house for a little while? Do you have a guest bedroom or something? This is going to be great. No. Put a shrimp on the barbie, Not mate. Not a fan of house guests. <laughs> I'm fun, though. I'll make my bed every day. It'll be fine. Uh, like, okay. like fish after three days. Yep. Here's one last question on relocation, and I promise we can move on to other stuff. Um, you mentioned if it's a whole take and someone has to move. Is someone ever entitled to those benefits with, like, a partial acquisition where you're just taking a portion of the land and maybe they have a home or a business on the remainder that is affected by the acquisition, are they ever eligible for those relocation costs or the, I'm sorry, the disturbance payout if they are on the remainder? Would that, would that? Yes. yes. Okay. No, okay. Absolutely. So disturbance applies regardless. So sometimes okay. in the most minor of um, acquisition, there may not be any expenses as such, but you still throw five, ten thousand $10,000 at them just for the fact that, you know, they've had to deal with the process. But yeah, no, absolutely in a partial uh, acquisition, you know, like I've got one at the moment and it's um, taking the rear of a rural living property to upgrade a road and across their back boundary, they've got like big sheds and water tanks, et cetera. So they'll all need to be relocated. Um, so I imagine that in that instance, they've got plenty of land, we'll be reinstating those assets elsewhere on the land. Um, and then obviously there'll be other compensation for the fact that the road will be closer to their, you know, otherwise tranquil residents and things like that. But yeah, absolutely. Oh, we talk about that sort of thing all the time. So it sounds to me like disturbance is kind of a bit of a catch-all category. Like, sorry, you're closer to the road. Sorry, you have to move. Sorry, there's some pain and suffering. We can we can throw some money at you there. I mean, that's that's kind of what it sounds like. And if that's the case, that's just remarkable to have that sort of freedom. Okay, so sorry you're closer to the road is a real estate thing. That's not disturbance. That's okay. damage to the remainder. Okay. Because when you go to sell that property, you know, whatever, someone might pay less for it. Sure. Um, so just, I guess, one other, uh, on disturbance, one thing which does sort of cause a bit of angst um, is the issue of stamp duty, so a tax on purchase of a new property. So the courts have ruled that um, stamp duty is not reimbursable if the property is held for investment purposes. So for owner-occupied, absolutely. But for investment, no. So the, um, I guess the concept being that, you know, it's an investment. You have to realise that investment at some point, so it might as well be today. <laughs> so, <Right. laughs> um, but I have a client who is a little bit 
kinder than that. And so what they do is if it's a property held for investment and it's a whole taking, they will say to that owner, if you repurchase another investment property within 12 months in exactly the same entity, then we'll reimburse the stamp duty. Um, so that's kind of, I think that's pretty reasonable. But um, in any other instance, they, you know, if it's owner occupied, you'd get that money, but you don't have to go and buy another house. You could just, you know, live on a boat. Doesn't matter. Fascinating. Okay, thank you for going down the rabbit hole on what we call relocation and you guys call disturbance. That is absolutely blowing my mind. Very fascinating. Yeah, and Andrea, I'd like to clarify one thing, and I'm pretty sure you covered this, but I want to make sure I have it correct. As far as the disturbance, compensation for disturbance is concerned, are there any limitations on the payments? Is there any limit to how much the condemning authority can have to pay for disturbance? No, no regulated. It's a, it's a, you know, whatever's reasonable, if you've got a good case, well, you know, that'll be considered reasonable. Um, and I might add that um, just this year in our act here in South Australia in July, we have a new um, subsection, which is called Saladium. Um, and that's been in uh, some of the other state acts for a long time. But Saladium is and only applies if um, it's your principal place of residence being acquired, but it is more just a bit of a consolation prize. Yes, sorry about that, mate. <laughs> so, <laughs> Saladium for us is 10% uh, of market value or $50,000, whichever's less. 50 or 15? 50. 50. And can you 50. spell that? Saladium, S-O-L-A-T-I-U-M. That was close. Okay. <laughs> wow. So it's just a little like a sweetener. Let's get it done. Yeah. Here you go. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, that's I've seen that start to happen, especially in Texas. We have a lot of um, opportunities for that as well. Uh, we we can do like a possession and use agreement and pay a 10% up to 25000 over the market value to get it done and to go ahead and yeah, get okay. possession. That does happen cool. here sometimes. And what about the before and after? Um, when, well, when people are formulating compensation claims, is there, do you use the before and after argument at all? Or is it very much a piecemeal method where you would say, you know, this is the market value, bang, that's it. Or, or it, is it a- It's before damages? and after generally. It's, yeah. we have a federal rule and a state rule, so they differ somewhat, but at least most of the states, it's a before and after, um, immediately before, immediately after the acquisition. So you assume that as of the date of take, the project occurs, is completed and all done instantly on that day, and you determine how much it was worth before that happened and how much it was worth after that happened. Yeah, which is very, very sensible. Um, and it's always the ultimate test, isn't it? Like, I mean, even when I'm doing a piecemeal, which would be market value of the land, plus, you know, you might add something for severance, injurious affection, disturbance. Obviously, disturbance is not part of the before and after, but always, you know, if someone adds that up and it still doesn't make sense or there's no relativity to the before and after, like, you know, you're on the wrong track. So, Andrea, are you, so you have to determine what you think the disturbance value is going to be as part of your initial offer. Is that what I'm understanding? Yes. So it yes, all yes, has yes. to be wrapped up into the first offer made to the property owner? Yes. That, that's a great yeah. question. How in the world do you Who do that? Who comes up with those yeah, numbers? That's, what I, that's where I'm baffled. 
<laughs> yeah, and and that and fair enough too, because there is a portion of disturbance which is um, not tied to an expense. So it is, and it is, like I said before, you're not allowed to use the word time. So when I first started doing this type of work years ago, um, I used to say to landowners, I used to often work for landowners, I never ever do now, but and I'd say to them, oh, keep a, um, keep a log of, um, you know, the time mm. that you're spending talking to people, um, you know, when your access is being compromised, when power goes out, keep a log of all those sorts of things and, and then, you know, we can incorporate that um, into, into the disturbance claim, you know. But it, the courts don't like that. They don't want to say, oh, why well, spend 100 hours on this? Here's my hourly rate. Bang, you've got to pay me that. But um, so the, the language that you use in putting that part of the disturbance claim is, is a little bit, it, it's, it's vague. It's basically, um, you know, dealing with the process and then it's a judgment call so when you've been doing it for a while you know oh that's a five thousand dollar one that's a ten thousand dollar one that's a twenty thousand dollar one um so it's it's more of a convention that part of it rather than anything scientific but do you do you come in on the front end you know what we do in the united states is is we have to appraise the value of the acquisition which involves an appraiser right boom and then a relocation agent comes in and meets with the landowner to determine what relocation issues and expenses are involved. And that's what Kristen does. So my question is, do before you acquire the property, do you have somebody come in to figure out what the relocation expenses will be? Or are you just eyeballing the whole thing and saying, well, we think it's going to be this. Here's your offer. Have a nice day. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, look, it would depend. So if I if I go to meet with a landowner, I'm appointed by the government agency and I will, if it's something fairly straightforward, I'll obviously I'll do my evaluation and I'll also talk to them about the disturbance um, components and make, you know, I guess notes about, you know, what I think is going to make up that claim. If it's something massively complicated, um, like a factory or a shopping centre or something like that. It is something that would be outsourced to someone else. Um, but in the main, um, I would just make a call on those types of things. I'd estimate removal costs and I'd estimate, um, you know, various incidentals and the taxes are just a, um, it, it's, it's just a, it's, it's just a sliding scale. It's a, what's, it's, What's the word I'm looking for? It's a formula, so it's easy. So there are times where you might have the property appraised, do your perhaps an interview with the people, and then come up with your initial offer. Is that what I'm understanding? That sometimes yeah, you do so that? Yeah, my, so my report um, addresses all the heads of compensation. So I will deal with all of the heads that I mentioned, so the value of the land taken, if there's any damages to the remainder, and then there'll be a section on disturbance, talk about the impacts there, boom, here's the number. You know um, what? I think you have a lot more on your plate than appraisers here in America. Because <laughs> they're not they're yeah. not figuring out disturbance costs. That's amazing. Hey, we're gonna lighten it up for a minute. Andrea, are you willing to play a little pendulum land podcast game with us? Sure. Okay. So here on the Pendulum Land podcast, we play a little game called Over Under Push. And that is where we de we determine if something is overrated, underrated, 
or it's just a push. And so since you're such a good sport, we're going to do things that Americans like and consume that we assume are Australian. And I think some of them are. Some of them may just be stealing uh, some cultural, marketing. Cultural appropriation, <laughs> cultural I think appropriation. is what that's called. <laughs> so I'm going to give you three things that we think of as Australian that may or may not actually be Australian. And I want you to tell me, A, do you know what these things are? And do you guys use and consume them? And are they overrated, underrated, or it's a push? Are you ready? So what's a push? Just so A just push so means like it's not overrated, it's not underrated. It's just it is what it is. Okay. Okay. So here, I'm going to give you the three, and then we'll go through each one individually. Here are the three American things that we assume are Australian, and they may or may not be. Number one, Foster's. The tagline for Foster's is, it's Australian for beer. No, beer. Beer. It's Australian for beer. Beer. Number two, the Outback Steakhouse. (laughs) And number three, Uggs. Okay? So... Number one, let's go to Foster's. Does anyone in Australia drink Foster's? Do you know what that is? Is it actually Australian for beer? Foster's used to be like one of the most popular beer brands. Absolutely. I have not heard of Foster's for many, many, many years. There's uh, several brands that have um, come and kicked uh, Foster's off the perch there. (laughs) Okay, so overrated, underrated, or it's a push? What do you think? I'd say a push. A push. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I'm not a beer, big beer drinker, but, you know, it's an okay beer. Okay, so it's a push. I'll, I, I think that's a good answer. Okay, what about, have you heard of the Outback Steakhouse? The Outback Steakhouse. And, and in the commercials, no. you got to understand, it goes like this. Outback Steakhouse. That was, <laughs> I don't know no what rules. that was. That's from <laughs> Southern Australia. That, yeah, yes, no. of course. That's, that's the bluegrass version of Outback Steakhouse. <laughs> Andrea, and let me preface this by saying, as a Texan, there's a place all over America called the the Texas Roadhouse, which purports to be like a Texas steakhouse. And I'm like, no, that's no, 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 no. So if the Outback Steakhouse is not a thing, I get, I get it. Yeah. And we no, want you to know. There's Outback Jacks, which is probably similar. Outback Jacks would be yeah, not the same, but different. Okay. And I would say it's underrated. They do a good steak. Have you had their Bloomin' Onion, which apparently has like 20,000 calories and 5,000 carbs? Are you familiar with the Bloomin' Onion? No. Okay. Well, here in America, we think that's an Australian delicacy because yeah. they have it at the Outback Steakhouse. And they, they serve it with a funnel spider. Yeah, so it's, a, <laughs> it's, an, it's an entire onion, which is like sliced to open up like a flower, and then it's deep fried, and they serve it with this like mayonnaise spicy sauce and it's called the bloomin' onion. And I think people assume it's Australian, but it's really probably very much not. No, I have never. <laughs> ever. It sounds interesting. Did you say deep fried? Yes, yeah. ma'am. Oh, well, you know it's good. It, good. it sounds all right. I mean. It'll, it'll kill you. If you eat an entire one, it will you literally, your cardiologist will fire you because like, you need to go straight to the mortuary. And your breath will smell bad for like two weeks. But it is it is tasty. I haven't been to an Outback in a while. Okay. The third one, Uggs. I, 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 and let me, let me preface this by saying that in America, I think Uggs a few years ago kind of reached their peak. I think they're on the downhill slide here. But for a while, man, if you were a sorority girl in college and you weren't wearing Uggs, you were a nobody. Yeah, Uggs are a thing. Okay. Uggs are definitely a thing. However, I'm, I'm happy to say that you don't really see them being 
worn in the street anymore, but you're right. There was a time back in the 80s where the knee-high Uggs and the laces and the kind of the tapestry bit up the side. Oh my gosh, Andrea, this tells you a lot because the Uggs in the 80s, we didn't know what Uggs were in the 80s. Uggs were a thing yeah. in like the early 2000s. I would say the, the first decade of the 2000s. Yeah, that's correct. Those That's when Uggs hit here and they were hot. So and everybody had Uggs. If you don't wear them in the street, what do you wear them to cut the grass? Are they slippers <laughs> like you wear them at night with your robe? Right. Oh, what, what, are you, what are you doing with them? The surfers wore them. Yeah, what? Yeah. yeah. It's just uh, Originally, that's what they were for. With your leisure wear. <laughs> nice. Okay, so, well, let's get your official take. Uggs, overrated, underrated, or it's a push? Yeah, underrated. They're, they're, they're great. You the are authentic s- one. But not on yeah. the street. Don't wear them out of the house. Okay, you know what? <laughs> you got- are a sport, and I think your answers were fabulous. Good job. And okay. a, lot of, a lot of women in America missed the memo about not wearing them out of the house for about 10 years here in America. <laughs> So, well, thank you for playing. Thank you for playing. Listeners, thank you for joining us for the Pendulum Land Podcast brought to you by Pendulum Land Services, LLC, a full services right-of-way acquisition company dedicated to the integrity of the right-of-way industry. Visit them at PendulumLand.com or on Twitter at PendulumLand. This broadcast was produced by Right-of-Way Consults, LLC. You can reach out to our resident experts on Twitter at Kristen at right-of-way Ross, at right-of-way Dave. See you later. Do you come from the land down under?